First Corinthians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote in the middle of the first century to the church in Corinth, which was an ancient city in Greece. And one of the reasons that Paul wrote this letter was to address some problems in that church, one of which was pride, pride that was resulting in division and pride, bad pride is giving yourself honor and glory and credit that belongs only to God. That's pride. Pride happens whenever you make more of yourself than you make of God. Pride happens when you increase and God decreases. And so Paul's aim in the first four chapters of his letter is to confront and conquer that kind of pride in Corinth. In chapter 1, he started showing them that they had nothing to boast in. They shouldn't boast in themselves because they were fools by the world's standard. They shouldn't boast in Paul because he was a fool by the world's standard. They shouldn't boast in his ministry because even it was foolish by the world's standard. And they shouldn't boast in their conversion because they didn't convert themselves. They were converted. They were saved. They were called by God. In other words, their conversion was a gift. And Paul reminded of them, them of this so that, chapter 1, verse 29, none of them might boast in the presence of God. Or, if they did boast, 1, verse 31, that they would boast in the Lord. And that word still stands for us today. When you look back and consider the past, I hope it's with humility. If you are a Christian today, that means that at some point in your life, you became a child of God. You became a citizen of heaven. You became a saint. But those great privileges came to you by grace and not by merit. Those great privileges came to you as a gift from God. That wasn't the only source of pride for his readers. So in chapter 2, Paul moved on to address wisdom, which the Corinthians possessed, and not just any wisdom, but according to 2 verse 7, they possessed the secret and hidden wisdom of God. That verse 8, none of the rulers of that age understood. It's easy to see how that would be an occasion for boasting among the Corinthians. And so in chapter 2, verses 6 through 12, Paul reminded the Corinthians that this wisdom they had was revealed to them by God. They did not word for it. They did not find it. They did not discover it. It also was a gift. It came to them, chapter 2, verse 10, by revelation from the Holy Spirit. That word also stands for us today. If you are a Christian, you have the wisdom of God. But you were not looking for it. You did not seek and find it. It was revealed to you by God 
through the Holy Spirit. Now, in today's text, Paul has one more thing to say about the wisdom of God. There is one more leg under the table of boasting that Paul looks to knock out in these four verses. And here it is. Our ability and willingness to receive the wisdom of God is also a gift of God. Salvation, gift from God. Paul's taught us that. Revelation, a gift from God. Paul has taught us that. And now he'll teach us reception. Our receiving the things of God. Also a gift from God. Not only is the wisdom of God that came to you by revelation from the Holy Spirit a gift. That was verses 6 through 12. So is the ability and willingness to receive it. We would not have the wisdom of God if God did not reveal it to us. And we would not have the wisdom of God if we did not receive it. And our text today, our ability and willingness to receive it is a gift from God. In other words, if you're a Christian today with the wisdom of God, that means God made you able and willing To receive that wisdom. Another gift. So one more time. Here is the point of today's text. Our ability and willingness to receive the wisdom of God is a gift from God. Now remember, as we move forward, this is God's word we're reading today. This is God's word we're trying by the help of the Holy Spirit to interpret today. And in God's word alone, we learn who we are. More importantly, who God is. Most importantly, how we can be reconciled to God. And if God would come now and help me by the Holy Spirit to preach And if God would come now by the Holy Spirit and help all of us to listen, then our lives will be changed. So before I preach this sermon, we should pray together. Please bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, as we listen to this sermon, fill our minds with truth. Fill our hearts with desire for you. And move our wills to trust you, to honor you, and to obey you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you're using one of our church Bibles, which you're free to take with you, if you don't have your own Bible, you'll find today's text on page 619. If you're a Christian today, You have the wisdom of God, which is fundamentally you have the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not all the wisdom of God is, but fundamentally, basically, foundationally, 
the wisdom of God, as Paul writes, he has in mind the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have it, which means that you have received it and you believe it today as truth. And you believe it as truth today because God has made you able and willing to receive it as truth. That is what we're going to see in our text today. Our text could be divided into two parts. If you're looking with me, verse 13 is part one. Verses 14 through 16 are part two. Verse 13 is a statement. And then verses 14 through 16 are an explanation of the statement. So let's begin with verse 13. Here it is. And we impart this in words... Not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And now let's look at this one phrase at a time. Paul says, and we impart this. And this refers to the wisdom of God of verse seven. And in this very verse, he calls it spiritual truths so wisdom of god spiritual truths now same thing and in the verses just before verses 10 through 12 we learned that paul and the corinthians had received this wisdom from the holy spirit and now that they had received it they especially paul impart it which simply means to pass it on and according to our verse they passed it on how They passed it on in words. They pass on the wisdom of God in words. The wisdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is passed on in words. Not in actions. Not in service projects. Not by example. Not through drama. Not through a skit. But in words which happens through things like preaching and teaching and evangelizing. Paul goes on. We pass on this wisdom of God in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. The wisdom they had was not taught to them by the world. The wisdom they had was taught to them by God. Paul said in 2 verse 4, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. And again, in 2 verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the spirit. So the Holy Spirit, Paul is saying, was the revealer. The Holy Spirit, Paul is saying, was the teacher. And then finally, at the end of the verse, Paul gives a sort of summary Of what he's just said. He says we are interpreting. Spiritual truths. To those. Who are spiritual. Another word for interpret is. Explain. That's what I'm doing right now. Through preaching. I'm interpreting spiritual truth. I'm not just. Reading the Bible. I'm explaining what it says. Interpreting spiritual truth. That's. What a sermon does. That's what a confession 
does. That's what Bible teachers do. That's what you do when you evangelize. That's what you parents do with your children when you teach them what the Bible teaches. You are, we are, Paul was interpreting spiritual truths. But it's the last part of this verse that needs the explanation of verses 14 through 16. In verse 13, who is this wisdom of God being imparted to? Look at the verse. Who is this wisdom of God being imparted to? And the answer is those who are spiritual. We are interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Who is that? Or in verse 15, Paul will call him the spiritual person. So to understand who that is, we're going to need to read Paul's explanation. And here's what we're going to discover in these next few verses. Spiritually speaking, there are two kinds of people in the world. Spiritually speaking, there are two kinds of people in the world. And there are only two kinds of people in the world. The natural person and the spiritual person. See the first three words of verse 14? The natural person. And see the first three words of verse 15? The spiritual person. So let's look at each of them. First, the natural person. Verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So there's two things there, isn't there? There are two things Paul tells us about the natural person. Number one, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. And remember, the things of the Spirit of God are the same thing as the spiritual truths of verse 13 and the wisdom of God of verse 6. So the natural person hears spiritual truths and rejects them. He does not accept them. This is about willingness This person is not willing to accept spiritual truth. This person does not want spiritual truth. This person refuses the things of the Spirit of God. The word for accept here means to welcome. That's what this word actually means. Accept means welcome, specifically in regards to hospitality. So, The image is of someone welcoming a stranger into their home. That's the image here. Accepting, welcoming a stranger into their home. So imagine, imagine spiritual truth on the doorstep of the natural person. He or she opens the door. Hears and sees spiritual truth and then slams the door shut. 
That's the image of the natural person who does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. And then the second part of the sentence tells us why they do this. They, that is, the spiritual truths, are folly to him. The spiritual truth is folly to him. Paul's already mentioned this three times. In 1 verse 18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. In 121 and then in 123, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. The wisdom of God is folly to the natural person. And so he does not accept it. So that's the first thing. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. So there's two things here. Number two, the natural person is not able to understand the things of the Spirit of God. Verse 14 again. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and... He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So not only does the natural person not accept the things of God, he is not able to understand them. He is not able, Paul says, to discern them. So the first part has to do with willingness. This has to do with ability. The natural person, Paul is saying, is not even able to understand the things of God. Now, this isn't saying that the natural person has some sort of mental learning disability. He can, of course, understand words in the Bible. He can understand what is preached in a sermon. He can track with the points of a sermon. But he cannot understand them spiritually. So what this means is that the natural person hears the words, but the words have no effect on him. He hears the words, but they they do not affect him. They are like bullets off a rock. He can comprehend its logic, but not its beauty. The natural person, John Calvin once said, is like a donkey at a symphony. The donkey can hear the music. There's nothing wrong with the donkey's ears, but the donkey cannot enjoy the music. He cannot appreciate the music. He cannot, in that sense, understand the music. He cannot discern the music. That's the natural person. The natural person, according to Isaiah 6, 9, and then Matthew 13, 13, he sees, but he doesn't really see. He hears, but he doesn't really hear. William Wilberforce was a politician and abolitionist in the 18th and 19th centuries in England. He was also a Christian. He was friends with 
William Pitt, who for a while was prime minister of England and who was not a Christian. Wilberforce often shared the gospel with his friend. And there's a story at one point to his excitement Wilberforce convinced his friend to go with him to church one Sunday and to hear one of the great pastors of the day, Richard Cecil. And Martin Lloyd-Jones, he describes the experience that William Wilberforce and William Pitt had as they went and listened to the sermon by Richard Cecil. Richard Cecil preached and expounded the glories of the kingdom of God and the relationship of the child of God to the Father. And Wilberforce was in ecstasy, rejoicing, reveling in this glorious truth. At the end of the service, they walked out, and Wilberforce, you can imagine Wilberforce, what's happening in his heart as he wonders, I wonder what the Lord is doing. This was an amazing sermon. What is the Lord doing in William Pitt's life? I hope he's listening. And he's longing to hear the report. He doesn't have long to wait, Lloyd-Jones said. Just as they got outside the vestibule, Pitt turned to Wilberforce, who'd been so ravished by the exposition of the truth of God, and said, I didn't understand a word that man was saying. What was it all about? Now, you can explain that event with our text today. You can interpret what happened that day with our text today. William Pitt did not accept or understand the things of God in that sermon because William Pitt was a natural man when he heard that sermon. Which leads to a question. What was William Wilberforce? Why did he hear something so different? Why did it affect him so differently? And that brings us to our next verses. Let's look at verses 15 through 16. Here is a spiritual person. Verse 15. The spiritual person... Judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is a very different man. Another word for judge here would be examine or question or even scrutinize. The spiritual person not only understands the things of God, that's the implication, he examines all things. He has the wisdom of God and sees the entire world through that right lens. He judges all things rightly. And then the second part of verse 15 makes clear that the spiritual person is even beyond judgment from the world. For... Verse 16, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 
Spiritual people have the mind of Christ. They have the wisdom of God. I was helped by Richard Pratt and what he said in his commentary about this verse. The Holy Spirit knows the mind of God and reveals it to his people through the teaching of the apostles. As believers minds are influenced by the spirit, they themselves take on the mind of Christ. They think as he thinks. They evaluate life as he evaluates it. Consequently, insofar as believers follow the teaching of the spirit, they are beyond the criticisms and instruction of human wisdom. Those taught by the Spirit do not follow their own faulty reasoning. They learn from the Spirit who judges all human wisdom. So in summary, according to Paul here, there are two kinds of people in the world. The natural man and the spiritual man. The natural man does not accept or understand the things of God. The spiritual man accepts and understands the things of God. Now, let me ask you a very important question. It is the important question from our text. And it may be a question you already know the answer to. We have the natural man or the natural person. The spiritual man or the spiritual person. Why? Why do these men respond so differently to the wisdom of God? Why do they respond so differently to spiritual truths? Why do they respond so differently to the gospel of Jesus Christ? What makes one and not the other? What is the difference between them? How, how do they get to this place where they either accept and understand the wisdom of God or reject and don't understand the wisdom of God? The answer to that question was actually given in the last verse of our text last week, verse 12. Read this verse with me. Again, here's the question. Why do these men, the natural man and the spiritual man, why do they respond so differently to the wisdom of God? Hear the answer in verse 12. Now, we, and by the way, the we here are they who had received the wisdom of God. They understood the wisdom of God and accepted the wisdom of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So let me just break down that verse. We have received the spirit who is from God so that we might understand. And accept the things of God. 
What's the answer? Spiritual people are those who have received the Spirit of God. Those who have received the Spirit of God are able and willing to accept and understand the things of God. Those who have received the Spirit of God are able to accept and understand the things of God. And so now we're back to what we said at the very beginning. Christians. Our ability and willingness to receive the wisdom of God is a gift from God. You do not deserve the gift of the Holy Spirit. You did not earn the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit, we have been taught, as a gift from God. And when you received the gift of the Holy Spirit, which means that the Holy Spirit of God has come and is dwelling within you as a Christian. When you received the gift of the Holy Spirit, you were then made able to understand and accept the wisdom of God. The natural man. And you were all once, those of you who are now spiritual men and women, you were once a natural man or natural woman. The natural man, apart from God, that is without the Holy Spirit, is not able or willing to accept or understand the things of God. That's a massive statement. The natural man. That means that a human being. If not given the Holy Spirit. Is not able. And is not willing. To accept or understand the things of God. Theologically speaking, this is what is called the moral inability of man. The moral inability of man. And it basically means this, that everyone is naturally able to accept and understand to believe the gospel and to receive the gospel and to follow Jesus. No one is keeping you from doing that. God isn't keeping you from doing that. But you're morally not able. You hate God so much as a sinner, the Bible says, that you don't want to have anything to do with Him. And so you reject Him and are not able to understand the gospel, not able to see the beauty of the gospel. And so you reject and run the other way. Enslaved to your sin. Enslaved to your selfish desire. Enslaved to your desire to run away from God and not to God. So let me read you a couple of quotes. About 30 years ago, John Piper said this. Without the Spirit, we are so rebellious against the cross and against the Lord of glory that we will not and cannot recognize the truth and beauty of a crucified Christ. It's folly, Paul would say. 
About 150 years ago, Charles Spurgeon said this. This is a longer quote. Now, says one, I believe men can be saved if they will. My dear sir, that is not the question at all. The question is, are men ever found naturally willing to submit to the humbling terms of the gospel of Jesus Christ? We declare upon scriptural authority that the human will is that is the natural man is so desperately set on mischief, so depraved and so inclined to everything that is evil and so disinclined to everything that is good that without the powerful, supernatural, irresistible influence of the Holy Spirit, no human will ever be constrained towards Christ. You reply that men sometimes are willing without the help of the Holy Spirit. And I answer, did you ever meet with any person who was? Scores and hundreds, nay, thousands of Christians have I conversed with of different opinions, young and old. But it has never been my lot to meet with one who could affirm that he came to Christ of himself without being drawn. The universal confession of all true believers is this. And isn't this your confession, Christian? I know that unless Jesus Christ had sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God, I would to this very hour have been wandering far from him at a distance from him and loving that distance well. With common consent, all believers affirm the truth that men will not come to Christ till the Father who hath sent Christ doth draw him. Again, the natural man, that is, without the Holy Spirit, is not able or willing to accept or understand the things of God and so our ability and willingness to receive the wisdom of God is also a gift from God. Remember, Paul is looking to confront and conquer pride in Corinth and in Roseville. And pride is taking honor and glory, and credit from God, and giving it to yourself. Saying, I did that, when you should say, God did that. If you are a Christian, you have so much to be joyful about, but you have nothing to boast about. Nothing. Not one thing. And the Bible, Paul especially, is relentless in his pursuit to knock every single leg that you could stand on and boast in. To take everything you can possibly say about, I did that, and say, no, God did that. God did that. God did that. If it wasn't for God, you would never have heard this wisdom. If it wasn't for God, you would never have understood this wisdom. 
If it wasn't for God, you would never have accepted this wisdom. Because if it wasn't for God, you would never have received his Holy Spirit. When it comes to your accepting and understanding the things of God, you did that. You did accept the things of God. You did believe the things of God. You did receive the things of God. But you did that, received it as truth, because God sent His Holy Spirit to open your ears, to open your eyes, to change your heart. This is described in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 in a beautiful way. Let me read you verses 3 through 6 and hear the same thing. The natural man and the spiritual man. One can't hear it, the other can hear it. One can't see it, the other can see it. And the one who can see it is because of God's initiative in their heart. Paul writes this. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In other words, they can't see the beauty of it. In their case, the God of this world, that's lowercase g, that's Satan. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus sake. Here are the spiritual people. And what does Paul say has happened to them for God? Verse six, who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the natural man hears the gospel of Jesus Christ and rejects it. But the spiritual man. God pries him open. And shines the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ directly on his heart. And the spiritual man with the gift of the Holy Spirit. Feels. And sees. And hears and understands and responds and accepts the wisdom of God. So, in conclusion, a couple questions for us to consider. Number one, what are the implications of this on the ministry of the Word? Ministry of the word. In other words, anytime the word of God is being taught. What is this text? What do these truths have to do with that? What does it have to do with every time I stand up to preach or every time you teach a Sunday school class or every time you sit down on the bed and talk to your kids about these truths that are in God's word. What are the implications on all of that ministry of the word? 
Well, this is the illustration that I grew up with that I think our text debunks. The illustration is often used for the ministry of the word. When you're doing that, when you're preaching, when you're teaching, that you're teaching someone or you're preaching to someone who is sick. Have you heard this illustration? They're sick. Spiritually sick. It's a sick man or a sick woman or a sick little boy or a sick little girl and they're lying in bed and the physician, God, the great physician, has given the remedy to a doctor, that would be you, the teacher and the preacher. And you have this remedy, which is the gospel, which is Jesus. And then how does the illustration go? And then that remedy, you as the doctor, the preacher, the teacher, you put the remedy on the table next to them. And then the challenge is, all you need to do is reach out and take hold of Christ. All you need to do is take the medicine. All you need to do is believe that you are sick. And Jesus is the remedy. And Jesus is the answer. Reach out and take hold of the medicine. But we mustn't forget that the sick man in the bed is blind, according to Ephesians 4.18. He is weak and unable to grasp the medicine, Romans 5, 6. And his heart is filled with hatred for the physician, John chapter 15, verse 18. Or another way the Bible speaks of this. Actually, we are not sick in our sin. We're never taught that. We are dead in our sin. That's very different. Those whom we teach, our church, our friends, our children, they are not sick in sin. They are dead in sin. A preacher is not preaching in a hospital. A preacher is preaching in a graveyard. This was the image given to the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 37 that he writes about. Preaching over bones. I don't care how good the sermon is. How good the illustrations are. How good the application is. You see the picture. You see the image. Those bones aren't going to just attach themselves to one another and regenerate and have they need to be regenerated they need to be born again they need to be given spiritual life they need to be given the holy spirit they need to be made ephesians says alive in christ so that they can understand and accept the things of god so what is the implication The implication is work to teach, work hard to teach and to spread the gospel and to share the truth of God's word and to teach the wisdom of God and to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to teach these spiritual truths. But pray, pray, because you know that every one of your words will fall flat. If the Holy Spirit is not sent to breathe life into the one that's listening to you. Because the natural person 
who we all once were, does not accept the things of God, does not understand the things of God. So we're praying, God, turn the lights on. God, give them life right now. God, they've heard the gospel a hundred times. May the hundred and first time be the time it clicks. And they hear something they never heard before. Oh God, may they not respond like William Pitt. May they respond to William Wilberforce. May, may they not be a donkey in the symphony. Awaken them, God. Change them. Transform them so that they can hear the music. So that they will love you. So that they will sing to you. So that they will pray to you. So that they will worship you. And so we're prayerful. The second question. And in the last question, who are you? I'm sure some of you have thought about that as we've been going along in this sermon. Am I the natural man? Am I the natural woman? Am I the spiritual man? Am I the spiritual woman? Are you a natural person here today? If you are, and you do not have the Holy Spirit. And you do not understand the things of God. You do not see the beauty of the cross. You do not accept the things of God. No matter how old you are or how young you are. If you think this morning you may be right now this natural person. That should cause you to feel utterly hopeless and helpless. You should feel very Desperate. I cannot understand these things if God does not send his Holy Spirit. I will not accept these things unless he sends his Holy Spirit. So young people, there's no, this isn't a matter of putting it off as if you're able today and you'll be able in 10 years or able in a few years. So have your fun and do it then. No, the word of God is telling you that as a natural man or woman, as a natural boy or girl, you do not at this moment, if you don't understand the things of God, if you have not accepted the things of God, you are not able right now to understand the things of God. You are not able to accept the things of God unless he sends the Holy Spirit right now to change you from the inside out. I don't know what else would get us to stop trusting ourselves. There's no point. You and I are absolutely helpless to save ourselves. And we think that that would discourage people from turning to Christ. What discourages people from turning to Christ is teaching them that they have an innate ability to turn to him anytime they want to. And that's false. Jeff Thomas said. One result of the inability of man being preached is that people are forced to stop trusting in themselves. This shuts them up to rely upon God's grace. It is not the conviction of helplessness that keeps men away from Christ. It is the opposite. I cannot come to him, but I must come to him. What fearful inability, what high responsibility. Who shall deliver me from this dilemma? I thank God. For Jesus Christ, 
the enabling Savior. So you may have walked in here a natural man, but you may walk out a spiritual one. Why not this very moment in your heart cry out to God? Change me. Make me able. Make me willing. Turn me around. I don't want to live for me. I want to live for you. I don't want to trust in myself. I want to trust in you. Save me. Change me. Or are you the spiritual person today? Have you accepted the wisdom of God? Do you understand the wisdom of God? Do you believe? Have you received these spiritual truths? Do you have the Holy Spirit? If so, what is the point of the sermon for you? Romans chapter 6, verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Thanks be to God. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. And you were, you know this, spiritual person, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Which means that spiritual people, those who are spiritual, our proud rebellion has been turned into a willing submission. And all thanks, and all praise, and all honor, and all glory goes to God. No pride. No bragging. No boasting. No quarreling. No division. It is by grace we have been saved. Every Sunday here at Veritas, following every sermon, we respond to the word of God. As it's just been preached, we respond by taking communion together. And we do that, of course, in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. He has commanded us to do this. We do it in remembrance of what he accomplished for us on the cross through his death. This is what Paul says in this letter we've been studying, chapter 11, verse 23 and following. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often 
as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we are remembering his death today. We are proclaiming his sacrificial death together this morning as his adopted sons and daughters. If you are here and visiting, you are welcome to take communion with us. If you are a baptized believer, that is, you have confessed your sin, you have turned from your sin and turned to the Lord Jesus Christ and are trusting him only and wholly for your salvation. You are part of a local church that preaches this gospel, whether it's this church or another church, then you are welcomed to have communion with us. We'll have leaders up front to serve you. If you would exit into the center aisle and come forward, we'll give you bread and juice. Return to your seat from the outer aisles and wait. And we'll take these symbols together as a family. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we know and are reminded again in your word that we have not made a contribution to our salvation. We should be the most humble people on earth. We're often not. We're often arrogant and proud, looking down on others, maybe even within our own church, as if we have ourselves to thank for who we are. So thank you for reminding us that we understand your word and have accepted your word as truth only because you have gifted us your Holy Spirit. That we would be able to discern now these spiritual truths. So we give you all praise today. And all glory and all honor. Be glorified we pray. As we remember and proclaim now. The great sacrifice of your son. On our behalf. So that we could be reconciled to you. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.